What's up, you guys? It's your boy Shredder here, and welcome to another podcast episode. In today's episode, I'm going to be reviewing The Mandalorian Seasons 1 and 2. I'm sure many of you are like, oh boy, not another man's negative review. Well, it's going to be an unbiased um, review, and you're probably going to love what I have to say about my favorite franchise. Anyways, without further ado, let's get started with today's episode. have had the chance to watch The Mandalorian Seasons 1 and 2, and while there is much speculation about the next season, the original seasons have had just as much hype. Now you may be familiar with the main storyline. The story follows a Mandalorian bounty hunter and his partner Grogu, as well as some unlikely allies as they battle to protect Grogu, who is also force sensitive, from the remnants of the Empire, soon to be First Order, and the crazy scientist villain Moff Gideon who wishes to use Grogu's blood to make force sensitive robots that could control the galaxy. Season 1 also did have a little bit of a fan battle on the timeline, some arguing before Grogu's name revealed that the story takes place between movies 3 and 4 in the Star Wars canon. Hence the Baby Yoda craze. It was later confirmed to be in the immediate 20 years before the events of Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens, and of course indefinitely after the events of Episode 6. Which, I do want to point out that one of the things that I did like about the first season was was how they introduced the characters, but while I did like the first season, there are also some things that I would have improved on. For starters, season one was pretty darn short, lasting only a few episodes. I also feel like they could have expanded a little bit in the first season. There are a couple characters that I would have wanted to see appear early in the first season. Such as maybe Sabine, such as maybe Sabine, Sabine Wren, I cannot pronounce her name today, from the Star Wars Rebels cartoon, or even Clone Commander Rex, for example. I really wanted to see those characters involved because after the Dark Saber spoiler alert is revealed um, at the end of Chapter Six, where he actually cuts his way out of the Tie Fighter with the Dark Saber, I feel like they could have gone a little bit more in depth with how he got the Dark Saber in the first place. If you'll recall, and if you guys watched the whole franchise, including the cartoons, because the cartoons, you may not think about it, but the cartoon Star Wars Rebels, which is, takes place between episode 3 and 4, and has a final episode in season 4 that takes place in chapters after chapter 6 of the canon movie franchise. Though That series actually goes hand in hand with The Mandalorian while you may not think about it more so than you know. The reason why, and I'm going to get to this a little bit more when I talk about Season 2, but the main reason is because Moff Gideon had to have stolen the Darksaber off of somebody. He had to have battled somebody to take the Darksaber and get it to Moff Gideon. We know that that, um, one of the Mandalorian's allies, Bo-Katan, I believe, actually have um, actually did at some point reference the dark saber being in her possession stolen stolen from the clan and then and then we also know from star wars if you watch the star wars rebels cartoon 
that Sabine Wren, the um, um, who is really into paint and is involved with the Re- Ghost Crew in Rebels, actually does earn the, earn the dark saber, and Kanan Jarrus is there to witness and train with her with the dark saber as she learns how to wield it as a weapon. Well, at the well at the end um, of the season four of that particular series you'll start to see the Darksaber slowly evolve and change while in Sabine's hands, so to speak, as it begins to flow from one story to another. And then you'll notice that all of a sudden, magically in The Mandalorian, whoops, Moff Gideon somehow has it. Now, how exactly does he have it? Well, uh, it's has come to my understanding, and a lot of and a lot of people's understandings at this point, if you watch the whole franchise, that somewhere between episodes six and seven, where there may have been there may have been a actual fight, and somehow through the course of course of events, Moff Gideon dun, 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 gets the dark saber, and now he's able to wield it and control people however he pleases with that. Uh, actual not so lightsaber saber because <laughs> it's really not a lightsaber. I don't want to get into that right now. And that's actually and that's actual that's actually where my next point is about to come off because I really I really do feel like they could have expanded on how he got it more because there's a lot of question marks there, even though we do know from context where he got it from, specifically as it relates to the story later down the line and from the from the cartoon, the preceding cartoons, it actually would have been better to see them tie her in, Sabine that is, into the story more having a hands-on deck approach to getting it back than what they actually did in season one. We all all we saw was the Mandalorian, Boba Fett, and his allies trying to work with Grogu to get it and, and at the same time earn it back. We don't see Sabine. We do see Ahsoka Tano. Now Ahsoka Tano being a good friend of Sabine's. That that actually that actually is where I'm gonna get into season two. Season two, in my view, is much better than season one, and we do get some reference to some characters from Star Wars Rebels. And actually, Ahsoka Tano actually calls out the general she fought in season two by name. I'm not mistaken, and she actually calls her out. She demands to know where Ezra Bridger and Grand Admiral Thrawn, hint, hint, from the Star Wars Rebels franchise series, where they are, leaving the door open for those characters to get their live-action debut as well, plus hinting that Sabine, Ezra, Zeb, Hera, not Kanan, because he blew up, and Ezra, Grand Admiral Thrawn, are still alive at the events of the Mandalorian, and that at some point she believes that when they went to the timeline at the end of Rebels, into hyperspace, were together to fight each other, Ezra and Thrawn, they actually may still be alive in some distant world somewhere, and we have no idea where they are. And that Sabine may come. That Sabine may have may end up coming in later 
after we find out where they are to kind of bridge things together as they all work hand in hand to get to get the dark saber back into its original owner's possession who just so happens to to technically still be sabine but the mandalorian and his allies have have safekeeping of it in season two and potentially in potentially in season three and maybe four um as it relates to the story because you know we have to keep that keep that clan that heritage line going for the story and i think it helps to keep it in the mandalorian's hands the dark saber for the time being until sabine comes back and maybe ezra maybe thrawn and maybe ahsoka tano for one last time and then that's when we might we might be able to see that change of hands the changing of the guard so to speak where we finally get to see the dark saber turned over to its not first owner but it's it's basically episodes four through six first or first owner because sabine, because sabine had it the whole time that season that episodes four through six in the movie canon were even around she had it the whole time so that so that in itself I should tell you where we're going and it's actually not the only thing we get out of season two we also see a young master luke skywalker liberate the mandalorian and his allies after the mandalorian almost dies fighting mom gideon with the dark saber Moff Gideon is actually surprisingly strong with the Darksaber, though he's not he's not force wielding. At least, at least at least not to at least not to the extent like Jedi extent or like Mandalorian extent where he can where he or a previous I'm sorry, where he can uh, move things with his mind and that sort of thing. But he does have a sense of um, a sense of not discipline in terms of being heroism discipline but like sith level of discipline where even though he's not force he's not force wielder he can still wield the dark saber to um star saber with enough discipline to be able to bring the mandalorian who has a beskar staff for crying out loud and basically bring him to almost bring him to his knees fighting Moff Gideon because he because Moff Gideon just simply has the discipline to wield that wield that weapon. The Mandalorian does have the discipline to wield the weapon too, but the Mandalorian comes on the scene in season one as like a bounty hunter. So he really has he really does have no background in wielding a sword basically of that magnitude. He has a spear. He can wield it, but he can't wield it with the craftsmanship and the elegancy that the Jedi and Sith can, and Sith and whoever wields the dark saber who has that sort of background. That he can't wield it the same way that they can because in season one and, and early on in season two, he doesn't come on the scene with enough background in the wielding the art of wielding that particular weapon that's why when he finally does seal seal the deal <coughs> excuse me and gets the dark saber back he's so labored and exhausted from the fight because he doesn't have that sort of strength and 
not much strength and discipline within him to do, um, to take on such a task. That's why is that's why in the book of Boba Fett, in that series, when the Mandalorian comes back in later in the later in that season, he ha- he's like training with Bo-Katan because he needs that discipline to wield that sword. Otherwise, if he faces a Sith. If he turns and faces a Jedi, he's gonna get cut up. He's gonna get cut up. So, he needs to have the discipline to wield that weapon. Also, Luke, he's a powerhouse. And he actually, this is really interesting because he made Moff Gideon tremble in fear, of course, but he made him tremble so bad remember the labored breathing we saw he was like panting very hard sitting down breathing really heavily like he he was scared to his his wits end because luke skywalker he heard the stories of how luke skywalker defeated the emperor and up until kylo ren when luke when luke becomes very um, a lot older and um and his power starts to you know grow a little bit faded up until then the empire and first order and early first order besides snoke who gets cut in half really has no formidable foe opponent to the jedi because darth vader and the emperor are dead so everybody else is scattered trying to do a power grab <coughs> excuse me trying to do every little thing they can to save the empire but they don't have a sith counterpart a true wielder of a true force wielder counterpart to counteract luke skywalker and his jedi so when they finally do get onto the ship and Luke Skywalker lands, he cuts up the force robots like they're absolutely just toys. He cuts through them like a car running over a tiny little Lego toy. That's how bad and how well and how quickly he was able to rush through and kill them. It took him pro- I can't I actually wanna say I counted the Mandalorian last, last the season two finale, and if you count the seconds, it takes him really no more than 90 seconds to cut up. If you take out the scene with Moff Gideon and the Mandalorian standing at the door, and you you put together only the parts where he's in the hallway, you really you really count the seconds. It takes him no more than 90 seconds to cut through all the droids and make it and make it into the hallway to um to the door and cut up that last droid and get inside the door that takes him if you take all the other cgi and everything out if you put just those scenes in the reel together it really takes him no more than 90 seconds to get down the hall so that all in itself scared moff gideon to death 
you can imagine if Moff Gideon was gonna strike back, he would only have 90 seconds to do something. He would only have 90 seconds to live, probably, because he was because he was 90 seconds down the hall, and in 90 seconds cuts up everything and goes through the hallway to the door. And you know what? You know what the Mandalorian says? He says, "Open the door." That's all he says is open the door. Just open the door. So, hey, I mean, it's a really, it's a really good series. And look, I have to say, the CGI animations for the live-action series, they were really good. But maybe, maybe that's just me, because I've seen the show, well, that, and I'm biased with, with my opinion. Unbiased in this, but biased in my core opinion on the show, which I'm not going to reveal what my core opinion on the show is, because I want to keep this as unbiased as possible. And anyways, back to the topic at hand. It's overall a great show and a very good series. I really want to see seasons four and five, quite honestly. I don't know if they'll be able to do that because of the timeline. There are timeline constraints. They also have so many characters that uh, they can proceed with. So I, I really, and actually, I really, I really wish they would have done an episode ten Star Wars series. Probably won't. Because <coughs> the Emperor was defeated for the last time, so they really, so there's not really much they can go back to, unless they wanted to, like they did with some of the spinoffs. But that's that's probably not gonna happen. I think that they should do another show. I really do. Anyway, I I do have to make a quick note. I did not do a season three review because I'm taping this episode in 2022 and by the time the episode reaches you guys at the other end of the spectrum here it's gonna be 2023 and season three by that point will probably already be done at that point so I and I and I also so since I'm recording it so early did not do a season three review so that's why there's no season Sorry guys, I know. It's one of the down bat downsides to taping early. You have to plan ahead while taping early. Alright, so anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Let me know what you guys think. And please be sure to hit that support link. There's a support link in the description. Donating really helps the podcast out a lot. I know there's a lot of you guys that really enjoy the bonus episodes that I released while season two was in pre-production. And I appreciate you guys for tuning in to my co-host Sierra, who also goes by McKenzie, her casual survival series. The casual survival series actually is the number one episode on our podcast now, and it smashed our podcast record for the most episodes in a single period of time. It smashed that 20 fold and it and as of the time that I'm taping this, it actually has over 119 in a span of I want to say five days. I want to say five to six days. That's the fastest growth in a single episode we have ever had, and that's on a bonus episode. 
So I re- so I really want to congratulate my congratulate my co-hosts for doing such an amazing job on creating that episode, and also to my friends who helped me with season one, and to all the people who helped me with the bonus content as well for the intermediary steps of pre-production for season two. Also follow my Twitter for the latest updates, and I'll catch you guys in the next.